I will let you know when I figure out what the weather's going to be. <laughs> or if you know how it works here, let me know. This morning, Pastor Scott asked me to speak on communion. So we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Before we pray, I just want to read these, uh, just a quick little verse here for you from Mark chapter 14. This is later on in the ministry of Jesus. Actually, it's right towards the end. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city, that's Jerusalem, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house, he enters, the teacher has asked, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparations there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for communion, how it reminds us to look back on what Christ has done for us. This morning, I just pray that your spirit would speak to all of us uh, through the words that are spoken today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The older I get, the less I watch of what some would consider regular TV and the more I would consider watching shows like home renovations and uh, cooking shows. I, I do say that when I retire, I really want to take a cooking course or something like that to really learn how to cook. And some would say, well, just take it right now. Yeah, I understand. But I'm going to wait for that. I enjoy watching cooking shows. I was watching one the other day. Uh, you may have seen some of it. It's called Two Greedy Italians. Two older Italian men. What a great show. He, they go over these two Italian fellas. They're uh, well along in years now. In fact, one of them has since passed since they filmed it. But anyway, they talk about all of the old recipes they learned as a kid and all the traditions that were handed down from cooking, picking the fresh vegetables, that sort of thing. Gennaro Contaldo tells the story of when he was a boy, a young boy. He was invited, in fact, almost made through family tradition to watch and be there as they slaughtered the family pet pig. It was very, very hard on young boy Gennaro, but in his family they had a tradition that it was so important for a child to learn at a young age to respect the animal whose life was given up for them so that they might have food for a year. And Gennaro looked at his mama and said, Mama, you've, you, you love these animals. Why don't you cry? And she said, Son, there are no tears on the outside, but there are tears on the inside. I want to look back in Scripture to have a look at the responsibility for families, for parents, for grandparents to hand down traditions to their children. So I want to read from Deuteronomy to kind of set the table here for where we're going to go in this message this morning on communion. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, 
We'll start at verse 5. It says these words. See, I have taught you the decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me. This is Moses speaking. So that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great to have such righteous decrees and laws as to this body of laws I am setting before you today? Let's focus in on verse 9. And it says this dozens and dozens of times in the Old Testament scriptures. Verses like this. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that, so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to the children after them. In the Israelite culture, there was a, a, a responsibility on the parents, on the grandparents, to hand down the stories of old, to hand down the laws, the decrees that were set in place. So let's go back to the first verse that I read this morning from Mark. There is a young man listening to those words that Jesus said to go into Jerusalem and prepare the Passover meal. A young man, his name is John. The Apostle John, we're going to refer to him this morning as young John. Young John. He was the youngest of the disciples. Some feel that he was as young as 17, others feel in his early 20s. He was a young man when he started following Jesus. So there are scriptures that we read, and there is something that I like to think of as the human factor. In other words, I as a person am going to assume some things that were going on in Scripture. Okay? Now, the Apostle John is told by Jesus to go into Jerusalem, and they're going to get the, the Passover meal ready. And they hadn't been to Jerusalem before altogether, so I believe this was a special time for all of the disciples. And I'm going to assume for just a minute, because I have been a young man, that John may have and probably did look back on his childhood to remember, oh yeah, Passover. What is Passover? And he may have looked back in his mind to when he was a young boy. I'm going to assume a few things too, because I have been a young boy at one point. I have also been a father, and I am a grandfather, and I know that it is so important to hand down traditions. So I believe that young John, for, for the next few minutes, I'm going to go over things that could have possibly been in young John's mind as he began to grow up, as he began to learn about his nation, the laws and the decrees that are spoken about in the scriptures which are the Old Testament. That's what Jesus and his disciples would have had in those days are the Old Testament scriptures. 
So as young John was a, a young boy, there would have come a time in his life, and all of you know this, as if, if you are parents, that you get questions sometimes that you struggle with, that you might not have the exact answer right away. One of the questions I believe young John would have got to at a, young, at, at a point in his life is, Dad, why does this little lamb the lamb that I love, the lamb that I've grown up with, why does it have to die? Why do we have to slaughter it? Why do we have to kill it? I believe at some point that he would have had those questions and he would have gone to either his mom or his dad and it would have been up to the parents to be able to answer that question properly based on what it says in the book of Deuteronomy. Passed down to their children, these traditions, these understandings. Now, I can't claim to know what Zebedee, the father of young John and James, said. But as a father, I'm going to search the scriptures a little bit myself and go back and look at something that Zebedee may have mentioned. Let's go back, if you want to turn uh, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 11 and 12. I'm going to go through this whole chapter rather quickly, okay? And just mention some of the verses. I'm going to start reading at Exodus chapter 12, and we'll go to verse 5. But before we read this, I'm sure that Zebedee would have set the table and said, Son, the, the, the stories of old that we've told you before bed, one of them is the story of Moses. And Moses led this, our people, our, the, the Israelite nation, out of the land of slavery. And he may have said something like, Zebedee may have said something like, do you remember how they got there, how we got there, through the story of Joseph that we've told you before, how that there was a famine in the land, and Joseph brought his family into the land of Egypt, and we grew for 430 years in the nation of Egypt. We were blessed significantly in that time, but then soon we became slaves, and God raised up a man named Moses that he would use to lead us out of that nation into our promised land. But dad, why does a little lamb have to die? And I don't know exactly what he said, but let's start, I'll start reading here at verse 5, and I'm going to scan over these really quickly. These are some of the pointers or some of the points that young John's father probably brought up. Moses said to the people, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Now, son, listen carefully. It says, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where, the houses where they may eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with the bitter herbs. Skipping down a little bit. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water. It must be roasted over the fire. What, how you eat this? This is how you eat it, son. We had to have our cloak tucked in 
we had to have sandals on our feet and a staff in our hand because this symbolizes Passover. This means that that night, God would send an angel to take the life of the firstborn of every Egyptian. But if we have, if our nation, if our people have the blood of this lamb on the doorposts and the tops of the door, it says the death angel will pass over us. Verse 21, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once, select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put it on the door. Not one of you shall go, sorry, not one of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the tops and sides of the door frames, and he will pass over you. So you see, son, there was a process, there was a, uh, an ordinance set up whereby God would save us from the land of slavery and take us into the land of promise. But we had to have the blood on the doorposts. But dad, why does a little lamb have to die? And as a father, <laughs> where am I going to go from here? Maybe, just maybe, he remembered a verse that his father or his grandfather had told him from the scriptures. Or maybe he saw it himself in Leviticus chapter 17. Verse 11, it says this, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given the blood to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And as a father... I would hope that God would use that in young John's life to help him understand that in order for him to be looked at as sinless and spotless by God, something had to pay the price and take his place. And God set up the ordinance through the Passover lamb that this was to take place. John, young John, hopefully he understood. I believe he did. But young John now is getting a little bit older. Maybe it was at that time, or maybe he was a little bit older. My guess is he was a little bit older, that he would have asked his father or his mother again and said, okay, I understand that. But if God led us out, of the land of Egypt into the promised land, and we're in the promised land, why are we dominated by the Romans? Why are the Romans the ones who are lording it over us? I'm sure that Zebedee would have quoted, I won't go there, would have quoted the verse in Isaiah, son. The prophet Isaiah says that unto us one day a son will be born. A baby will be given to us. The government will be on his shoulders. And the increase of his kingdom and his government and his peace, there will be no end. Young John, there is a time coming when Messiah will come. And he will lead us out 
He will be the king of kings. He will be a great military leader because remember back in the day, they don't know the outcome. They don't know the full story as we know it today. So he would have told young John to get prepared for this great leader, this king of kings, this lion of Judah, where all the governments of the world will be on his shoulders and he will carry us through. Okay. So moving on in young John's life, we come to John 1. John was an author. In John, it explains or it, it, it lays out what happens next as he is a young man, again, between 17 and 24, something like that. Young John, now full of testosterone, him and his brother, they've turned into men, and they are eager for a purpose. They are eager for a goal, something to accomplish with their lives. Young John hears another man speaking who just happens to have the same name, John. In John chapter 1, it lays out this whole story where this man comes preaching strong and hard and saying, make way for the paths of the Lord. Repent of your sin and be baptized. And young John, uh, another man named Andrew, other men, other women most likely too, began to listen to John the Baptist's words. And as they listen, they, they discuss amongst themselves, I'm sure, should we follow this guy? Is he the coming Messiah? John the Baptist makes it quite clear that no, I am not the Messiah, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy of untying. Young John listens to these words, okay. Now the time comes. They're listening to John preach. He is, he is, again, preaching, repent and be baptized. Repent. And all of a sudden, in this, in this area where there's a lake and they are he is baptizing people, John the Baptist looks up and he sees another man coming. And he utters these words. I'll read from John chapter 1. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. There's only two times that that phrase is used in the Gospels, both times by John, in John chapter 1. Lamb of God. Every male... Well, every, every person would have understood the connotation of that. Lamb of God. You know what's involved with a lamb. A lamb is something that you raised. You prepared that for the Passover lamb. You prepared that to slaughter it for the blood to be spilled so that your life may be atoned for. So John, I'm sure he was puzzled by this, but yet quite intrigued. In fact, John the Baptist looks at him and said, from here on in, he must decrease. I'm sorry, he must increase and I must decrease. 
John begins to move away and let Jesus take over here. In Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. There was some time go by here. There was a little bit of time. We're not sure how much time. But these young men were introduced to Jesus. And it says that they followed him. But I don't believe they followed him quite yet. They were intrigued by him. They watched him. They listened to him talk. But in Mark chapter 1, it all comes together. In Mark chapter 1. After John the Baptist was put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. And he said, basically, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. They left their nets and followed Jesus. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, young John, in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, boys, it's time. Let's go. They left their nets and their father right now, and they went to follow Jesus, young John. Over the next three years, John would see some amazing things. In John chapter 2, he watches Jesus turn water into wine. In John chapter 3, he watches a late-night debate between Jesus and a man, high-ranking Pharisee named Nicodemus, where Jesus explains the idea of being born again. And to summarize in a nutshell, I believe Jesus says, if you are born twice, you will die once. If you are born once, you will die twice. In John chapter 4, there was a Samaritan woman who had some problems in her life, just like all of us, just like every one of us. And she says, I don't understand all of these things, but when Messiah comes, he will explain it all to us. Young John watches and listens as Jesus says, I who speak to you. In John chapter 5, he is debating, he, Jesus is debating with the Pharisees, and he says, you diligently search the scriptures, you're looking for answers. The scriptures are that which testifies about me, in John 5, 39. The scripture, Jesus is saying the scriptures are speaking about me. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000. The disciples watch this. This is the king of kings. This is the Lord of Lords. This is the Lion of Judah. All of the governments are going to be on his shoulders. The disciples are feeling stronger and stronger, as is young John. In fact, in John chapter 8, John hears Jesus say that before Abraham was, I am. He's setting himself up to be equal with God. He's claiming to be God. John chapter 9, and in other books in the Bible, there are many more miracles. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. The seas are calmed. Jesus speaks to nature itself and has authority over it. He walks on water. 
King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Lion of Judah. John chapter 10, he explains that he is the shepherd. They're his sheep. In John chapter 11, jaws drop and there are gulps. As we watch, young John sees a dead man come out of a tomb. But by now, the Pharisees are trying to kill Jesus because they believe that he is the enemy of who they are. So in John chapter 12, the disciples try and talk him out of going to Jerusalem. But Jesus says, no, we must go. For we must go there to prepare the Passover lamb. Now we come full circle. We're back to the verse we read at the beginning where Jesus tells his disciples to go into Jerusalem and take care of this. So in young John's life, he is sitting in an upper room now with Jesus, this great king, coming king, this lion of Judah. And during this meal of Passover, Jesus says this. It says this in Luke. And he took bread. Jesus took bread, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is poured out for you. There is an account in another gospel of young John just putting his head on Jesus' shoulder when it's talking about betraying, and he says, Lord, is it me? Jesus says, no. And after these words, I believe that John, while he has seen the Lion of Judah and all of these miracles, goes back to the words he heard John the Baptist say, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We know the story from here. We've heard it lots, but maybe you haven't. So we'll just go over it real quick. After the meal, Jesus and his disciples go to the Garden of Gethsemane where they pray. The disciples fall asleep, but Jesus sweats drops of blood at what is about to happen to him. But the disciples... When they wake up, Judas comes, the one who has betrayed him. And he and the soldiers and some Pharisees lead him away. Some of the disciples say, okay, this is it. This is due day. Draw your swords. Let's, let's fight. Jesus says, no, we're not going to do it this way. As he's led away, the disciples watch the king of kings, the lion of Judah, the one they saw walk on the water, be led away. As they follow along, some of them begin to leave, turn away, and go. Because they can't stand the idea that they have just seen Jesus now getting beat up. He is now getting whipped and flogged. And it says that the disciples scatter. They leave. They go. The cross is strapped to Jesus' back, and several 
weeks ago, maybe a month ago, two, two months ago maybe, Deb, Pastor Scott's wife, Debbie, she read something about the carpenter's son. Remember that? Remember how strong Jesus was? Jesus is, is, is 33 years old. He is at prime physical point in life. And his ability to take pain has never been greater. He could take pain. They strapped the cross to his back and he marched up the hill and then they dropped it with him nailed to the cross with no disciples anywhere. They left him except one. Young John. There is an account while Christ was on the cross of him looking at his mother and John and saying, Son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. And scripture says that from that time on, this mother came to live with young John. Why was John there? Scripture doesn't say. Scripture doesn't say why he was there. When we read the account of, of the Gospel of John, when we read 1 John, when we read the book of Revelation, and we see all that John has to say, I'm going to surmise, I'm going to believe something. I believe that John was there because from the time he was young John, he was present when the Passover lamb was slain. I believe that John was there because it was the right thing to do, to be there. So my question this morning on Communion Sunday is simple. Have you been there? Have you been to the cross and gone over in your mind what happened? Have you been there to be with the one who laid down his life for you and shed his blood for you so that you could be born again? Our church celebrates communion. And we observe communion. And it's based on God giving us the opportunity to remember, to be there as Christ laid his life down for us. I'm going to ask Pastor Brian if he would come and lead us right now in communion. We're going to do it silently tonight, this morning, because...